0: to a creative affair and you're here with Len Metcalf and uh, Bree Stockwell and today we're joined with Sue Ellen Cook and uh, uh, we're having uh, a wonderful conversation about creativity yet again. How are you today Brie? Hey, I'm awesome. Sue Ellen, we're just so
1: glad that you've joined us today. I really, I love your, I was going to say photography but it's really art. It's, um, it is photography, but you'll tell us more about it in a minute. But I want to first say that if you haven't, this is to our audience, checked out the latest, it's not the latest Lens Journal, but it's volume three, issue one. You go to lensjournal.com. Her work is in that. So if you want to buy a copy, you can, and you can see Sue Ellen's work in print at your house. So it's really lovely. And we'll talk about it a little bit more and a little bit more about creativity, but Sue Ellen Welcome. And why don't you say hi to everyone and then tell us a little bit about yourself and about your name.
2: Thank you. Yeah. Hi, everybody. <laughs> Thanks, uh, Lynn and Bray, for having me and inviting me on. This is really fun. Uh, we've been having a good chat and a few laughs already and, and it's very relaxed and, and and great. Looking forward to our chat. Yeah. So we start with me. Um, where do I start? Okay. My mother named me Sue Ellen. It's an unusual spelling because it's all one word, uh, but it comes from uh, the novel Gone with the Wind. And Sue Ellen was actually Scarlett O'Hara's sister. And my mother happened to be reading Gone with the Wind when she was pregnant with me. So she decided to call me Sue Ellen. So most people sort of think of um, the uh, alcoholic lady from Dallas, the TV soap opera from back in the 70s. And I often get asked, how's Jr?" Mm. That's funny. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And the Sadie part comes from my grandmother, um, who I was very close to, and uh, I have her middle name. So um, I have her name as my middle name, and um, that's where the Sadie comes from. Awesome. So, yeah, so that's my name. I've been doing my art for, well, since 2011. I started it sort of mid-2011. And, and there's a bit of a story in that uh, I've always been into photography and, and loved landscape photography and I loved minimalistic landscape photography. I loved black and white photography uh, and I did a lot of that um, back in my 20s and I did go to art school for a while and I did photography there and played around with, I mean, it was all black and white back in those days, I suppose, because it was all film. and. Um, then life got in the way and I sort of stopped doing it. And for various other reasons, I chose to go back to uni as a mature age student and so I did a Bachelor of Science and I stayed on doing honours and then a PhD in um, in biological sciences. And so I didn't really do much photography for all that time and in the meantime, digital photography had been invented and I didn't have a digital camera. I only had a film camera. It was getting harder and harder to do black and white photography. You know, I'd set up my darkroom, but I'd had to give all that up when I had my daughter because of all the chemicals. But anyway, um, while I was doing my PhD, I was fortunate enough to have a trip down into the Southern Ocean. And I thought, ah, oh, I need to have a camera for that. And so I went and bought myself a little digital point and shoot. And that's my first experience of Of the digital world, and so I took that away with me, and became quite frustrated because I couldn't have the control that I'd had with my film camera, which was a thirty-five mm And so um, I came back and thought, I think I want to. I think I want to buy myself a good camera. So circumstances allowed me to do that with a bit of money that I I got, um, and I so I went and bought myself a good. Proper full frame camera and a couple of lenses, and I just didn't stop. And of course, by that stage too, I discovered like uh, what do you call them? Photo sites like Redbubble and Five Hundred PX and things like that on the on the internet. And you know, the, like the whole digital world sort of exploded. I suppose while I was away from photography, but when I came back and saw that, and I started seeing especially on 500px, I started seeing this sort of weird, surreal, sort of intriguing stuff that was being made in uh, probably more in Eastern European countries. And I thought, oh, I love this. It's just, it's dark, it's mysterious, it's interesting. I was like, how do they do this? Like I knew you couldn't photograph that, like as a one single photo. Well, I didn't think you could. So I started sort of researching it and, um, discovered digital like montages and things like that. So I found some stuff that I thought I really like this. Uh it was fairly simple stuff. And I thought I'm gonna teach myself how to do it. So I did. I got to work with it took me a while. It wasn't it doesn't sound as it sounds easier than what it what it really was. There was a lot of hair pulling and new grey hairs appearing and all that sort of stuff. Um, but I taught myself how to use Photoshop and um, how to do this composite work so and it's just grown from there I mean my first effort will never see the light of day it was just dreadful but it taught me a lot and I loved it so yeah from there on in I started to get ideas and I suppose some of the training I'd had at art school like keeping an art journal and things like that sort of served me in good stead I started writing down my ideas and exploring them and trying to work out whether I could do it or not like it was hugely frustrating but hugely fun at the same time. So I guess that's, you know, the rest is history in a way. I've just um, kept doing it, uh, kept learning and still learning and hopefully improving. And each time I sort of put together a body of work, I can sort of see the leap I've made in in progress. So I suppose that's a good thing. Mm.
0: Such a a beautiful story, and that's so lovely to hear that you went to art school and you actually bought some of those things along. Because I'm trying to figure out what I actually learnt there.
2: Good question. And um, (laughs)
0: because I went to art school, and
1: uh, you learned, you learned you wanted to do photography.
0: (laughs) I did learn I wanted to do photography because I went to be a painter and a drawer, but I also learned how to learn and um, I think that that was one of the biggest skills as an artist was experimentation and learning my own process or procedures or the way that I work was not taught to me it was something that I worked out and that was how we were taught to do it at art school was to figure it out yourself there isn't one way we're all different we're all different we all have different procedures and ways of working and that was what was really exciting about that story and so over that period of time there's this lovely growth and such a beautiful so on that, such a beautiful um, honesty about learning and uh, always growing and I think that that's absolutely magic to, to hear.
2: I think, I think something, that's something that being at uni taught me, even though science is a completely different topic and the type of things you're learning is sort of very different. Art. Um, I still think it teaches you to to be analytical in the way you look at your work, and, and we were talking before about perfectionism. It's not perfectionism as such, to me anymore, but it's about attention to detail, I suppose. And I think that's something. I can't, I'm a fairly impatient person by nature, and and to have control of that now, with only with my artwork. Um, But I have control of that with my artwork now that I can get to a point where I think, oh, God, I've had enough of this thing. I've had enough of this image. I want to put it away. It's finished. And then I'll go and get some feedback from somebody and, you know, they help me to see the wood from the trees. And then I think, oh, yeah, yeah, I've got to go back and fix that bit.
0: Oh, was science about teaching also a methodology, that you actually work out a methodology and then like a a process?
2: Yeah, very much so. For doing experimental work, you have to sort of, you have to have tight protocols, very tight protocols.
0: And does that come through into the art? Mm, No. No.
2: No. Not at all. So what happens? I don't know. It's just free, (laughs) I suppose. It's just, I suppose with science, there's sort of an agreed scientific method that you have to follow. So it's somebody else's rules, if you like. Whereas with my artwork, it's my rules.
0: Oh, okay, yes.
2: You know, I said I said about the treehouse series in my opening speech at the exhibition that, you know, people make real treehouses that people live in, but they have to follow council regulations, whereas I don't.
0: Unless you're... Sitting in a forest, trying to get stop the trees chopped down, and that's probably a different sort of tree house too. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah, but I'm, I'm I'm talking about sort of like with my artwork, I can make a tree house that's totally in my imagination, and I don't have to follow anyone else's rules. They're my rules of what I want, and and I think that's what I love—that freedom.
1: I think Sue Ellen, though, you still have to have like you were talking about if um there's an image. What is it called? Is it called spilled milk? And it's actually, well, we don't know if we'll do the video, but it's behind you. And it's really lovely. There's this milk dripping off some steps of this tree house that the cat spilled. But when um, you were talking about this process of capturing that, which is what kind of spurred this conversation, I think. And I think there still has to be like, I do think there's an element of scientific method because you have to have a hypothesis of how you might try it and then you have to go do it, right? You have to do the experiment. And maybe if it's ingrained in you, right, because you've gone to uni, or here we call it university or college, you know, if you've attended and you've had to do this so many times, then there's a, hey, I think, and we do this a lot in art and all, you know, everywhere, part of our lives. I think this is how it's going to turn out. So I'm going to try it this way. And then you try it so many times. And if it doesn't work, then you, you have to do a new hypothesis and come back to it. And I think that it's not, it's not a whole thing. You don't do a write-up or whatever, but I mean, I have elementary science skills here, <laughs> so, <laughs> but, but I do, I think I understand at least in my own art too, that like, I think this is how it might, if I have a preconceived vision, Hmm. I think this is how it might turn out. And let me experiment here. And then you try, you know, you try to do the whole thing over until you kind of get it at least close to what you're thinking.
0: Bree, do you have a methodology when you're practicing your flute for a performance?
1: So uh, that's interesting. Well, so there's regular practice, just regular daily practice. I'm not doing right now because I'm doing other things, but it's yeah, okay. You're an
0: artist now. <laughs>
1: yeah, I well, yeah, Skip. but yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'm okay. Releasing that part of me. I still, I still use it, but when I was practicing daily, there's regular daily practice, which keeps you up on all of the skills you need to actually perform pieces. And then for me, I would get a piece of music if I was going to perform it or, cons- you know, considering performing it, I run through it. And then I find I go through it again just to hear it. And then I go through it again to find all the little parts that I think need work. And I isolate those. And then there are multiple things that I can do to, to fix those. If it's, you know, if it's a piece of a scale, like, uh, I don't know, let's say G, let's say it's the key of G and I know it's going to have an F sharp in it and I might want to do you know, maybe it's a chromatic scale or whatever, then I might want to practice that more. Um, And and so, so you do some testing with some regular things and then you do it, you add it to your piece of work. So, But I've heard of some people that, which is interesting, I've heard of some people that don't practice their music that they perform. They only do exercises. They only do scales and etudes and regular like other exercises because all music is made up of those things. And if you are really skilled in all of those things, then you can just play any music and combine all the little pieces into
0: something. Mm, so interesting. that's
1: Sue Ellen, how you work a little bit. Hmm. I'm
0: interested to hear how you work, Sue Ellen, because that's yeah, yeah. uh, <laughs> um, such a story.
2: I'm, I'm probably much more intuitive. I, I wouldn't say that I just practice my scales. I used to play the flute too, by the way, years ago.
0: Oh. oh, we're all flautists! Oh my god, and three flautists. We can have a little y'all. trio. <laughs> <Y'all>. <laughs> oh my god, oh, that's, that's awesome. funny. That's weird. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah, it's funny.
1: Um, Let me go get
2: mine. <laughs> I don't even know where mine is. It's in the buried in the cupboard somewhere. I haven't looked at it for donkey years. I have a glass one somewhere in my attic. <laughs> oh wow! Oh,
0: what beautiful. I, I have an leaf yeah, really somewhere. Funny. It's on the shelf. My,
2: my grandfather um, had wooden floats. Oh, it's like, imagine, I wish you still had them. Of course. Oh man, he's long dead, but he, he died when I was a baby, but wouldn't it be awesome to have that? Yes. I have one wooden one. Uh, anyway, where do I, where do I go?
1: <laughs> this is what we do. Yeah. So go ahead. <laughs> so, you so left so off process. with intuitive.
2: Yes. So where, I suppose, um, I'm just trying to think cause I've I'm probably not terribly structured, but I think at the same time when you were talking, Brian, I sort of recognised what you were talking about with your flute practice. And, And to some extent that's a bit what I do in that I will have an idea, I figure out what images I need for it, and so I'll either look through my library or go and photograph them. I mean, as you can imagine, after 12 years or whatever, I've got a huge library of photos to pick from. And so I'll collect all those and and then start playing around. And I probably, the best way to describe what I do is I sort of audition photos to see whether they'll work. Some will, some won't. And then some you think will, and when you put them in, they look like awful. So you, you've discarded that. And sometimes that can be quite disheartening, like the one I've got at the moment where I can't just find the right photo to use. And I know what I want it to look like but I can't find the right photo and uh, and the ones that I think will work just when you go to use them they just don't you've taken them the wrong way the light's wrong all sorts of reasons but uh so you have to audition lots of photos to see whether it's going to work or not then once you sort of get your, your image to a stage where you think it's starting to look like it's starting to come together then you sort of need to analyse it again and say, well, what's missing? Are the shadows or the lights wrong? Or how is it? Is this sort of telling the visual story that I want it to tell? And, and maybe it is, maybe it isn't, but maybe it just needs nuance. Maybe it needs finessing in places. Sometimes you sort of suddenly realise, oh, I didn't cut that out terribly well, so I've got to go back and do those things again. So it's a bit like you where you sort of said you find peace parts of that Piece that you're playing that aren't quite working the way you want them to, so you go back and practice those bits or something that contributes to your learning from, for all that piece. So that's probably what I do to some extent, and then and, and then you sort of like you keep going. You've got to, You you sort of get to a point where you think, oh yeah, that'll do, um, but you put it away for a little while, and you you know you know damn well it's not right. It's not finished. It, you come back to it and you start to see. And when you haven't looked at it for a while, you start to see all the things that you don't like or that need work. And that's probably when I start printing. So I'll print out uh, a print of it, probably just like A3 size, something like that, and I'll scribble all over it, the bits that I don't like. So I sit with it for a while. So it'll sit out in the lounge room and I'll I'll look at it every time I have dinner or something like that and and there it is, and you think, mm, no, I don't like that bit, don't like that bit, or, oh, that needs to be lighter or darker or, you know, whatever. Uh, so I scribble all over it with the notes, and then that, that goes away. Then again, it takes me back, and I start fixing all those things, and then you start to see other things, and you know, it builds on itself. And so eventually you get to a point where you've done everything and you think, I wonder if it just needs that thing. And so you put that thing in, uh-uh, no, nah, it just looks overdone or it just doesn't sort of, it doesn't look at home. And that's sort of when you know it's finished. And so from then on, it's just the, the sort of practical things of looking for dust spots or white spots or, you know, something that's not quite finessed. And that finessing can take quite a bit of time. And, and often it takes me getting other people to look at it as well. So it is good to have a critical eye, fresh critical eye pass over it as well. So that's probably my process. And also, along with that, uh, for probably two-thirds of the images that I do, I will have written stuff in my journal. And often it's after the case, which is sort of not perhaps the way it's supposed to be done, but I'll when I've done those prints, I'll sort of paste those into my journal and sort of uh look at what was wrong with them and and talk about it, just or just write about it in my journal as, as though uh, I didn't like that because of this and, and and that sort of stuff. So it's sort of like documenting my thought processes, I suppose, after the event a bit.
0: Mm, fascinating. And um How close is the finished work to your uh, imagination when you first started? Like uh, what's that relationship like in that big, long process? Because you were talking about auditioning photos and uh, I actually made a note of that. I think that's a beautiful idea, (laughs) (laughs) auditioning work. Um, uh, How does the actual artwork change over that, through that process? Uh,
2: Massively. I would say rarely do they come out like, What I imagined. Um, I'm just trying to think back. Some do, some some do, but most don't, or they're close but not quite. Um, I find that they sort of. I'm probably not very good at drawing, so if I could draw them to start with, it would probably help. And then I, but then again, I'm I'm not sure that I just want to reproduce the drawing. You know, even if I can imagine drawing it perfectly. I can't imagine reproducing my drawing because photography, using photographs is a completely different process to painting or drawing or and it never is quite the same. And that's where you have to audition photographs because sometimes it'll work and other times it won't. And I can't tell you why. There is no sort of rule about that. It's just an intuitive thing, I guess. So they all pretty much change. I mean, Tree Museum is a classic example of um of that, it took me five years to produce that image, and that was because um, it ins- the original inspiration was uh, Joni Mitchell's song "The Big Yellow Taxi," and where she talks about when she went to Hawaii when she wrote the song. She went to Hawaii, and uh, back in it was 1968 or 1969 or something. So you can imagine what it was like then, and she. Um, got there late at night. It was dark. She had no idea what she was seeing at a hotel room. When she woke up in the morning, all she saw was a car park. She was expecting the quintessential beautiful Hawaiian scene of the beach and palm trees and all that sort of stuff. And even back in 1968, that's not what she got. She got a car park. So she wrote the song Big Yellow Taxi. And of course, she talks in there about losing all the trees and the only trees they had were the ones in the tree museum. So that sort of inspired me and I suppose with my science background uh, you know I had a fair bit to do with climate change and things like that in my in my science work and um, I just wanted to sort of showcase what we're losing with with all the uh, climate change stuff and deforestation and all this sort of thing so the trim museum started I wanted to show like a, a glass building that was I like a, a museum, but it was a tree museum and have all the trees in it. But I had no idea how I could even possibly do that. And I've photographed a couple of glass buildings in Sydney when I was wandering around there one year, and I just couldn't figure out how the hell I was going to do it. And also to get a big yellow taxi, we don't have yellow taxis in Australia. And I thought... Um,
0: <laughs> no, it's a very Americanism, isn't it?
2: yeah it is and and i thought oh well how am i going to get one this is sort of going back oh gosh it must be like seven years old now that picture and so it wasn't until probably three or four years after i sort of made that picture that i ended up in new york and saw the yellow taxis but once again they weren't quite the yellow taxis i was imagining from the song so it just didn't fall into place i suppose so I completely changed my thinking about how I was going to represent this tree museum and just I don't know where the idea of the bottles came from, probably something I saw somewhere. I mean, things have been put in bottles forever.
0: Was that when you were, you had an artist residency when you were doing that, didn't you? Was or oh, have I got that story wrong?
2: No, I did, yeah. I was up at Cradle Mountain. Oh, okay.
0: And, um, and, I just assumed I th- you were in a pub with the artist reson- residency <laughs> for some reason. And no, that's well, wasn't
2: actually. I was in a hotel, but uh, <laughs> no, I'd collected those bottles over the years. They were all sorts of different types of bottles, but um, yeah, like no, I did do a fair bit of the photography uh, at Cradle Mountain for for those pictures because it's a beautiful wilderness, and I wanted it to show that wilderness.
0: So that's quite. Fascinating how the '60s music really actually influences so many people. I I have mm-hmm. the same connection to uh, an album, and it was a it's a Pete Seeger album, "God Bless the Grass," and there's the whole album is a conservation movement about recycling, about you know climate change, about um, looking after the trees, about how the industrialization and uh, I still at when I have moments of sadness, I put that particular album on to remind myself that my work is still trying to represent those values even today and that they're such important values to me. And they must have come into me at an age that was where I was susceptible. I don't know what's the right word, Uh, not susceptible, but um, accepting of those ideas into my life. And they've stuck with me so, so strongly um, ever since.
2: I was very much into sort of protest songs and things like that. So, uh-huh. you know, Joan Baez and Bob Dylan and all that sort of stuff sort of, I guess I grew up with that sort of music and, and I really like the messages that they have and, and I suppose Joni Mitchell's song particularly was was subtle but it was definitely a strong message.
0: It is indeed.
2: So I suppose those, I've always been sort of, searching for, I, I continue now to search for songs that have that sort of message about what we're losing in our environmental struggles.
0: Yes, well, in down in Tasmania where you are, there's um, there's quite a lot of environmental struggles, isn't there?
2: Yeah, um, there is. There have been over the years. Yeah. I mean, I sort of, I can remember uh, my father, my mother and father were great bushwalkers and uh, we caught a light plane into Lake Pedder. And landed on the beach before it was flooded, and
0: oh my and god,
2: it was, was still very clear in my mind. I was sick as a dog on the way back, you know, air sick. <laughs>
0: oh, how special!
2: But it was special, yeah, to to have been there, and then you know, a few years later, or a, few, a lot of years later, I got to talk to Bob Brown, and he hadn't actually been there, so, but he he wished he had, and unfortunately, he he hadn't had the opportunity to see Lake Better before it was flooded. But it was beautiful, you know. Mm. It's just so special, and I feel very privileged to have seen that. I mean, a lot of people have seen it, but yeah, yeah, it's it's brings it home.
0: I went to the opening of Bob Brown's um, the film about him, um, Giants, and uh, I, I handmade a book of the Tarkine and gave it to him at the opening, and he he almost he welled up in tears and and gave me the biggest hug and said thank you, and I. I asked him to write an intro for my book and he, he's posted me the most beautiful little introduction for um, my, my Tarkine book. He's uh, such a, a very, very special man.
2: He is, isn't he? And he's, you know he was sort of talking to me like this was sort of like when the Greens movement sort of first got going and you know we were at a, at a political rally and uh, he had better things to do than talk to me about going to Lake Meadow but he actually took the time and spoke to me as though I was the only person in the world. It, mm. it was really quite something. I've got a lot of time for that man.
0: Yes, yeah, there's, there's something incredibly special there.
1: I was wondering how that turned out, Len.
0: <laughs> he wrote the introduction for me. So um, I, I, I got the introduction and I got a hug from him and it was a, quite a magical moment and it was my little moment of an elevator pitch to to show and so when I eventually publish that book, um, uh, that moment will live forever in it
1: because you asked.
0: Yes, because I <laughs> I asked.
1: Yeah, that's such a beautiful thing to dream to you know have a dream and then ask and yeah see it through yeah 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 really for it. sure yeah it's really lovely glad you shared that.
0: I was um wondering what creativity is to you, Sue Ellen. When, when people talk about creativity and how special and magical it is and um, what is it for you?
2: I think for me it's um, it's like a lifeblood. Um, it's food for my soul. If I'm not creating, um, I, I get a bit antsy. It's the only way I can describe it. <laughs> I just get sort of like... Ugh! I just got to get into my studio and muck around, do whatever. It doesn't really matter, but I've got to do something. And I try, I try and do it every day. So I don't always achieve it, but I pretty much do spend every day at some point in my studio doing something. And and that just feeds my soul. It keeps me grounded. It keeps me happy.
0: It's like an outlet, is it, or a grounding, maybe.
2: I think it's more than, I think it's more than an outlet. I think it's my soul food. It's soul food. It's part of my being. It's part of my, it's as necessary to me as sleep is, if you know what I mean. So if I don't sleep, I get sick, crabby, whatever. Uh, If I don't be creative and, and that's not producing masterpieces or anything like that. It's just, you know, just being part of my art practice in some way, shape, or form, even if it's sort of writing the stories for my images or, I don't know, like at the moment I'm writing my speech for the opening of the of, of the exhibition next um, Friday night. It, it's all sort of part of it. So, um, but I mean, making images is probably the best bit, but also the hardest bit.
0: So if it's so important to you, what were you doing um, before while you were doing your um, science? How how did you express your creativity um, at that time? I don't think I did. Oh, okay. I don't
2: think I did. I, so think, the- um, I, I mean, I I used to sort of spend nights or evenings making images. That's, you know, when I first started. Um, I was doing that at night, but, you know, there's only so much you can do doing two jobs really. and An artwork is quite, it's quite draining in your thinking and science is also, like at the time I was doing a a research project that required a lot of uh, analytical thinking about how to actually achieve what we wanted to achieve and it was a tricky process, a very meticulous process and it was just like overwhelming hard work. I was getting older (laughs) and all those sorts of things, you know, it was just hard work and I suppose... I came to a realisation that it was either one or the other and and I just wanted to do my art. Uh, like when I was writing my PhD thesis, so just in that last few months when I was finishing it off, I just sort of had it up to Pussy's Bow, as my sister-in-law says, and I just really had to push myself to finish it because I just wanted to go and muck around with my camera and Photoshop. So it was just like pulling me away, like unbelievable unbelievable strength of that desire
0: there's quite a lot of research shows that that's when people give up um at university um it's that it's that very last little bit and i know i in my final thesis that i did um for my I only did, I only got to master's level but my very final thesis for my last subject the my supervisor sent it back with all the corrections and it was commas and marks and little dots and spelling things and um, it took me a month to do a half an hour's <laughs> job of just going through and correcting and I was so angry and upset and I nearly threw it in at yeah. that last minute and I really yeah. struggled with that last subject.
2: I can um, totally relate to that. <laughs> <laughs> well, my, mine was the culmination of three 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 and a half, nearly four years of work. So I had to finish it. Like I couldn't <laughs> stop there, but I so dearly wanted to.
1: It's interesting though, because sometimes our work really is tedious. Like I, I think about how you're working with all these little bits and doing them in Photoshop. And I'm like, I don't, I don't know if I have the patience or you know, persistence to, to do all that. Um, but I think it's when you describe it, like it feeds your soul. It's a different kind of work.
2: Than the other, yes, yeah, it's much more personal, and it's much more, yes. um, deeply rooted, I suppose, uh, in in who you are. I, I mean, when I sort of talk about it here, I it probably I probably gloss over the hard bits. Um, there are times when I think I just can't do this anymore. I just this is just not working. I I'm so sick of it, and I just don't want to cut that bit out anymore because it's too hard, or I can't be bothered, or, you know, it's just, oh, you know, you see something wrong and you've got to undo a heap of layers and you think, oh, I haven't got the energy for it. So you, I do go through that quite a lot, probably with every piece I do. There's some aspect of that where I think, I just, it's just too hard.
0: So, Sue so Ellen, how do you get over that? How do you, how do you, what, what's your secret to get through that to actually finish it? <laughs>
1: <laughs> and you can say you cry because <laughs> that's what I do.
0: Is there one?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you, wait, 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 before you answer, the first time I got into Photoshop, I knew it was going to be difficult and and the, and Photoshop looks so different than it does now, but I knew and I cried and I spent all day on doing these little parts, you know, kind of picking it apart like I would a piece of music, and I just it was so I, I just I just relieved all my stressful emotions through <laughs> through my tears, you know. But I think we all deal with it differently, right? Mm. And so I think it's totally okay to to have all that. But yeah, so how do you how do
2: you get over that part? I think probably cut it up into little bits and just sort of tackle a little bit at a time and, you know, go and cook tea or have a glass of wine or go for a walk or do something completely different for a while. Um, you know, get on social media and just look for pretty pictures, just something to take your mind off it. And you get over that sort of frustration level, I suppose. And And then you can come back to it and just tackle little bits at a time. But I think also, and coming back to your point, Len, from before was that there's something I learnt uh, very on, very early on in my study was um, when I first decided to go to uni, I didn't have um, year 12 maths and biology under my belt. So to get accepted into uni into a science degree, I had to go back and do those um, year 12 subjects. And so I did them by... Uh, what do they call it, like open learning or remote learning. So you get send all the stuff in the mail and then you've got to do it and post it back. And so, okay, I got this envelope of Year 12 maths. And at school I was, without blowing my own trumpet too much, I was pretty good at maths. And I thought, yeah, this would be easy. This I'll be able to do this. Well, I got the thing and I read it through and I thought, oh, yeah. And like you, Brie, I just... I can remember I was sitting at the dining room table reading through this stuff and I thought, I don't know what I'm reading. I have absolutely no clue what this is about. This is algebra. I thought, I know algebra. I remember it from school. No, didn't know this at all. And I just walked out in the kitchen with all these papers and I just threw them up in the air and burst into tears. I thought, I can't do this. It's all too much. And so like you, Bray, I probably just had a good cry and then I came back and I said, "No, you can do this. You're capable of doing it. You want to do the science degree. If you want to do the science, you've got to do this." So I sat down and just took little bits at a time, and and I sort of applied my methodical process of of like I'd write some stuff out, I'd look it up in a different book, or you know get a different perspective on it. I'd talk to somebody about it, and and just sort of picked away at it, I guess. And I probably do something similar now where I know that I don't know how to do this. Like I remember there was one picture that I did uh, a couple of years ago for my growth ring series where I wanted to do snow uh, on the tree uh, and I had no idea how to do that. I just thought, oh, I can't just paint white over every (laughs) leaf. It's not going to (laughs) work. It's going to look terrible. So I sort of had to do a whole heap of research to find out how to make a snow effect and, and yeah, it sort of worked, but I, I pushed it a bit further and tried a few different things and by the time you get halfway through it, you've got more ideas that you can try. So you do that and then, yeah, that's starting to work. So I'll just try something else and you just keep picking away at it, I suppose, and that's what I do now. And I find you sort of break through uh, to a point where you think, yep, that's starting to work now. I'm happy. I'll move on. So there's no sort of structure to it, but I suppose underneath there is. But yeah, I don't know how you describe it, really.
1: I love all of that because you could take, uh, you, you said a bunch of different thoughts that you had, like, oh, I can do this. Like, I can figure this out. There's there's a few in there that are really key mm. to helping with your like mindset as you're pushing forward, because so often this is not no, easy not work. Not at all. I mean, I guess in sometimes it is sometimes I'm like, oh, that was so easy and relaxing and fun. And then other times there's times I really want to push myself and grow and change. And, and I'm doing those little things. Um, I'm hearing that it's, it's all in how you're thinking about what you're capable of, what you're willing to do. And I, I love the, that persistence that if we really want something, we just, we just don't give up. We just don't go, oh, I don't know how to do snow, so I'm not going to do snow.
2: Yeah, well, it was very easy to do that. And I suppose uh, I suppose that's the difference between people that give it a go and give up because it gets too hard or too frustrating or I'm not enjoying it anymore to people that sort of produce images that are something to be proud of because they push through that barrier and and know what's on the other side or what can be on the other side. So you sort of, that's what you want. That's what you're striving for. So nothing in this world's easy. And and if it was easy, everyone would be doing it and everyone's not doing it. So there has to be some sort of difficult barriers there to get through. And it's, I, I firmly believe it's a case of showing up every day and doing something. You may not jump over that fence today, but you know, you're sort of working your way towards it every day.
0: What is the value of doing it every day, Sue Ellen?
2: Uh, practice, and it's just—it's like riding a bike. I suppose you never really forget how to do it, but you get rusty. You get a bit rusty if you don't do it. Like while I was away, uh, five and a half months, so I didn't make any art as such. I took lots of photographs and lots of ideas, but I didn't—I um, didn't actually sort of make any art. So when I came back, I thought, oh, I can't remember how to do that. <laughs> so I sort of, you know, had to had to really concentrate and think and, oh, how do I do that? So I, I think it's just sort of, it's a bit like what Bree said about playing the flute. And, and I know what you're saying. I've got um, a cousin who is or was a French horn player in the Melbourne Symphony Orchestra and his wife was in a cello player And they said that you have to practice every day. And I mean, they're professional musicians and working at it all the time, but they still have to practice every day. You think you wouldn't have to practice once you get to that level, but you do. You just have to keep your hand in somehow. And I think it's the same with art. It's not, it's not all roses. It's not a bed of roses. It's, it's a job. It's hard work. And I think that's what keeps you going is that desire to to reach that other side of, of the struggle, if you like. I don't like using the word struggle. It's sort of not quite what it is. It's just part of the process. It's just accepting that things not coming easy is part of the process.
0: I found everyday practice was also about momentum. Yes. Um, yeah. As like I pick my camera up irregularly and but I practice my photography and my creative art skills daily and it keeps me with going with momentum and like I write and I'm a very poor writer I think um, in my own mind particularly and uh, when I write daily it's easier to keep going and to keep doing it but when I put it down Um, it starts turning into a big block and um, to start again becomes actually quite hard and it builds up in my mind as this big wall that's bigger than I can, uh, uh, such a hurdle I don't want to get over it. So uh, having the momentum of every day keeps me going and rolling through
2: things. It just keeps you in touch with things.
1: Yeah, I'm finding that because I'm doing my, a year, I don't know why, (laughs) Sometimes when I think about this, I'm like, why am I doing this? A 365, I'm doing a 365 project and I'm not photographing every day, but I'm, and even if I'm not, you know, working on anything, uh, like, you know, in Photoshop or, you know, like actually working on it, I'm still thinking about it. Like what projects I, because I think this is part of the, I think a lot of thinking about our art is also part of the process too. um, having time where we're not doing the actual, like, maybe like the physical struggle of, you know, uh, whatever it is, the practice or the, you know, you know, the digital manipulation or the painting or whatever it is, but having, you know, having time where we're thinking and we're, where we have ideas going and maybe that's what the writing does you know, maybe that's what the writing does for you because I, I don't write as much. So maybe I, you know, I was thinking maybe I should have kept an art journal. Maybe this is a challenge to me to start keeping a journal about my week, my weekly themes. I'm going to do that. I'm writing this down right now that I'm going to, that I'm going to schedule time for that because I haven't yet. So yeah, because I think it, it'll be helpful. And I think it would, actually really assist me and be an important part of the process and help me be in it more every day. So I love that thought about momentum. That, that That's what it's helping me do too.
0: And some advice there is um, put anything in that journal, like don't put restrictions around it, um, write any sort of note in there. Like I've already just written in mine Audition photos for books because I'm stealing Sue Ellen's idea about auditioning Absolutely. The photos and going, oh, my God, that's actually the process we do when we're trying to figure out what photo to put next in the book as we we audition them or when we're working out a lens journal, we're auditioning photos to how they look next to each other because of the conversations between them. I write everything in mine.
2: Well, I suppose curating is the fancy pants version of um, auditioning. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah. I love that though cuz an audition sort of says it's well you you're testing isn't it? Mm-hmm. Um you're testing yeah, it's such a beautiful yeah, thing. Yeah. I write my dreams in my diary too, Um Bree.
2: Yeah, I remember that. <laughs> 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 I should write more in mine. I'm I'm inclined to write in hindsight and I I would like to write more in the future. So I I write down I write down things I see you know, I take a lot of uh, phone snaps, you know, screen snaps of things I see that I really like or that I find inspiring. It might be the colour or the light or the subject matter or whatever, so I keep all those. I'd like to be able to print them all mm. and paste them into my journal, but it would be ridiculous. But I try and write things, and one of the things that I find my journal really useful for is finding titles for images because, to me, that's really an important part of of the image is its title. Um, I, I struggle with seeing art that's sort of titled, untitled one, untitled two. Um, to me that's sort of, for me and my work, that's a cop-out. I really need to engage with my artwork on what is its real title, what is its real, and, and often the titles don't, they're not descriptive, they're more mysterious I suppose. Uh, one of the images that I've got in this current exhibition—it's called "What Happens Next"—and it's a staircase up into a forest, and like, into there's a tower at the back, a stone tower with a light on, and but you can't see anyone there, so you don't quite know what's in there or what. Why would you be going up there? It's all a bit creepy and mysterious, uh, and I called it "What Happens Next," and. To me that title is perfect for it because I did that image as soon as I came back from my trip away and I had no idea what I was going to do. I knew this exhibition was coming up but I had no idea what the theme was and I was blank. You know, just like you said, Len, you know, if you leave things too long, it takes there's a block there and it takes a while to get back into it. So I just threw this image together and uh and actually because I photographed some gates that I fell in love with that were just beautiful gates. I, thought, I want to use those gates. So that's where it started from. And uh, and I think the title was just like, this is sort of, is this the start of something new? Is this the start of my exhibition? I had no idea. So I called it What Happens Next. I've got no idea. Uh, and to some extent I still don't. But Is, um,
1: that, is that the title of your speech? <laughs>
2: Uh, No, it's actually called The Handbook of Solitude, my next exhibition, (laughs) because I had a bit of a revelation when I was looking back. I knew I didn't have enough new work to put an exhibition together that opens. Like I only came back at the end of October. So I had November and December, January, February, March, basically, to produce like 12 images. There was no way. I'm, I'm lucky to produce 12 in a year. So... I just knew that I wasn't going to have enough. So I was sort of looking back through the, uh, through my, uh, all my catalog, my whole catalog and thought, what haven't I looked at for a long time? And so I pulled out some old images and plus I had sort of half a dozen new ones and I sort of suddenly dawned on me. It was like a bit of a light bulb moment actually that, um, I'm in love with solitude and and I felt that almost every one of my images has something to do with solitude. And I've loved solitude ever since I was a child. I love walking on the beach and by myself, in, in, you know, in winter when when there's hardly anyone around. It's I love being. Uh, like I, I've got this sort of bit of a love affair with lighthouses, and I've read books on what it's like to live in lighthouses and very solitary sort of existence, and. There's something about that that really appealed to me. So I was sort of putting these images together and I, and the, and then the link appeared to me that it's all about my love of solitude. So then it became the handbook of solitude. And so solitude can be like a scary thing for some people and others like myself, it's just like a longed for state, really, the solitude to get in touch with your soul and and I think that's where art, my art comes in and in my studio, I like to be alone and just get in the zone by myself. And so that's where the exhibition has come from. So it's I called it The Handbook of Solitude.
0: Will that um, title uh, influence work to come, do you think?
2: I think it probably will. I think it's a bit of a, a, a turning point for me actually and in, in a bit of an insight into into the things that tick boxes for me. I suppose I, I've got more of an insight now into why I make the pictures that I do. So yeah, I think it will inform, but it won't over, it won't control. Because I'm I'm a f- strange person. You know how some artists sort of work in a series and it's all just variations on a theme. I, I find that really hard to do. Each each image is something new. So I, I just need that complete new perspective to produce a new image. I suppose. So they this. This, that's, I think that's why there's such diversity in my portfolio. Uh, it's Although it's all instantly recognisable as mine, I still think there's a lot of diversity in it. And I think that shows when you talk to people, they like one, but they don't like another or whatever.
0: Some artists, um, when they title their work, they actually use the title to steer the work. And the, um, listening to you, it sounds like it's a something that happens in the past where you the artworks, Finished and then you're you're naming
2: it last. Is that correct? Yes, it is. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes it occurs to me throughout, like or or, or like the Tree Museum, for instance. I always knew that was going to be the title, but that's sort of rare. Most of them, I think of the title afterwards when I look at the finished work and the story that it's telling me. I mean, we talked before about whether I have a preconceived idea of what the image is going to look like. I sort of have a rough idea, if you like. but it really, they really have a life of their own, and they tell you what they need uh, as you're working through them, and and so they also sort of say, "Well, hang on a minute, you better be careful when you're titling me. Make sure I'm happy with it." <laughs> <laughs> so, so it sort of has to be like you work with the picture to find the title. They, they are, they, they do have a life of their own. It's it's quite scary. Maybe that's just me. That's scary.
1: <laughs> I'm hearing too uh, that. That, that kind of more in-depth understanding and, and having that conversation with your own art doesn't happen if you're, if you're moving through it quickly. It, it happens when you're in it every day and when you're thinking about it, when you're journaling, you know, kind of when you're journaling about it and, uh, you know, and, and as you go more in depth, and I think that's a really interesting thing for me to notice about that because as part of a, you know, we're kind of talking about a creative process here, (laughs) but it's an interesting part of uh, the creative process, like for you is to, to get in there and get deeper and have these back and forth conversations. And, and I'm wondering how that, would be if i did that more often with my own work and what that would look like i'm curious like if our audience would do that too but i don't think there's any right way to have these kind of uh, to have this process but it sure is interesting to hear about different kinds of processes you know there's there's it's art right and creativity and we, it's not going to all look the same but I think there's a lot of similarities in how when we produce a work that's that we feel is really deep and meaningful, that there are some very similar threads, like having that conversation, like being in it more often. And
2: I, I think for me, too, it's a little bit of a, a mysterious process, too, uh, because I can be working on an image and. Um, I'm thinking, you know, oh, this isn't sort of really quite what I was expecting. And then something happens. I might do something and I think, oh, geez, I really like that. And that just sparks you off on a new lead. Like it might change colour. You might make a mistake and, you know, put something on it and press the wrong button and, oh, I really like that, really like that. So I take it off in that direction. So, again, I probably try and not... I try and allow that to happen, I suppose, because I like that. I've, I've had some really good results when that sort of has happened. So rather than try and be too structured about it, I try and let it go. But but at the same time, that's like working, walking over a tightrope. You never know what's going to happen, whether you're going to fall off or not. Well, there's plenty of um, dud images on my hard drive, I can assure you.
1: We want to see the very first one. <laughs> <laughs> It's such an interesting thing, though, to look at the very first one and look at the span of growth and know all of the struggle that went on and all of the joy and, you know, all yeah. of the whole
2: process over time. Well, you can still see my first image, the very first image what? I made. I actually still sell it. Do you? It's called The, board, the Boardroom. Oh, yeah. Yeah, if you look on my website, okay. you see the board. All right, runs. y'all,
1: we're gonna we're for sure linking to uh to Sue Ellen's website, <laughs> so you can go and look.
0: This conversation with our art is really important, isn't it? Because uh, uh, everyone else is going to have a different conversation with it, of course, and oh, uh, that's the beauty of it. Um, but yeah. the one that we have with it is the one that's so important for us because it informs where we go and um, how. We treat it and it provides us direction, I think, for me. that uh, And I'm always having these conversations with my art and then I'm sharing those conversations with other people to expand because um, maybe my thinking is a bit limited and I need to keep expanding it out as, an, as, as a lifelong learner, sort of trying to understand how it works. And in that process, my work just keeps changing because of the conversation that I'm having with it and... I find that incredibly motivating, and uh, uh, it, it draws me along in a in a in a beautiful path.
2: Yeah, yeah. And you don't always know where that path's going, and you don't always. There's not always the light's not always on. Put it that way. Um, and so, for me, you know, if you sort of ask me what I'm going to do for next year, I've got no idea, like no idea. But I know I'll discover it in time. So I. I suppose I've learnt not to put constraints on myself. And and like you, Len, I like to hear what other people do because I find that inspiring. Not so much uh, composite photographers because I find that actually restricting. I, I prefer to look at other artists and other photographers and I find inspiration in other things. And, and I really like hearing how people... Manage the ups and downs of, of being an artist. And, and it, and it is to sort of, that's another thing that comes with time, I suppose, is, uh, I think they say you've got to be doing something 10 years to be any good at it, uh, or for it to be you. And I think that's true. I think it has taken me a long time for it to become me and recognizably me. So it's, that's just nothing you can buy or learn. It's just time.
0: And in that 10 years of, of practising, what was it, do you think? Was it a, before it got to this moment where you said it's very much me, this is also, I think this is pertinent for people that are learning and uh, uh, exploring this because um, a lot of our listeners aren't um, practising artists at our level or uh, at your level. Um, mm. What were you doing in that time while you were working out what you were or who you are in your art? hard question i know
2: sorry it is a hard question and i think there's a couple of traps in there that i've fallen into and climbed out of and that is that you have your favorite artists and you try to emulate them i won't say copy but you try to emulate them and you want to learn from them and you want to see what they're doing and they have such great ideas. Why didn't I think of that? You know, why didn't I think of that? I've said that so many times. Why didn't I think of that one? And it can be as equally frustrating as it can be informative. But the trap is when you, well, let me put it this way: when when you start, a, say, an artwork in that vein where you're picking up a style from someone else, if you keep going in their style, then it's never going to be you. It'll be theirs. Their style. Whereas, if you can put that person, that artist's stuff away, uh, out of your brain, and look at your own work, and listen to it, bet what's it telling you? Where does it? Where is it telling you it wants to go? And and go with it. Trust yourself. It might end up at the at the back of your hard drive, but there's a good chance that it'll arrive as something that talks about you and who you are. And you have to sort of let go of it being you know, the the $6 million sale on, on Christie's. <laughs> gonna happen. Just look at it as though this is what I wanted to get down on paper, you know, or on my screen or whatever you work on. So I think that's probably the best advice I can give to someone trying to learn this stuff is put away your favourite artist's work. Let's say we've got this idea of a boat full of animals, for argument's sake. So you do your boat full of animals then put away that other work. Just get rid of it. Don't look at it again and just do your own thing with that boat of animals. You know, put a dark sky in it or, you know, different colour or put some people in it or, you know, whatever you want to do. And, and that way it becomes you. It becomes your thing, not the work of that person that you admire. I think that's to me is the way when you're sort of first starting is to learn how to develop your own ideas. Because you sometimes need a starting point. It's like a blank canvas, you know, where the hell do you start? So start with somebody else's idea if that's what you need to do. But then put that away and follow your own idea and see where it takes you.
1: And don't be afraid to do something weird. Oh, no. (laughs) No.
2: no, Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. It's pointless being afraid. Being afraid is not going to help anything.
0: It's interesting that we've come up with this um, letting go twice for different things, like one was um, letting go of the direction of the artwork to allow the artwork to guide us uh, as to where it's going and then another one here about letting go other artists' work uh, that influence us and um, finding ourselves in this and it's, it's very much about acceptance, isn't it? And uh, it's, it's interesting that when I asked about what's your process and um, you actually have answered it really beautifully over the whole discussion because it's unfolded, is that this is your process? It's um, it's a, a month of letting go. It's a imagination. It's collecting, and then um, a huge amount of work. If you're talking about twelve a year, you know that's a, a month at a time working on one artwork, isn't it? It's a it's it's a long time.
2: Yeah, and like I rarely I rarely do that. You know, they take they usually take a couple of months to produce.
0: So do you work on more than one at once? Sorry, Tana. No,
2: not often. No. I I just get obsessed, I think, with with the one and I've got, I feel like I'm a train on a track, you know, and I've just got to keep doing it. You know how when you get a good book and you don't want to put it down but you know you've got to go to sleep? I get a bit like that with them.
0: And that's where the daily practice helps too because you've got that momentum Mm. and you just keep going at it and going at it and chipping it away at it slowly.
2: Yep. And then when you sort of know that you've got to put it down for a while, that's when I'll go off and take some more photographs or do some other things, you know, listen to some podcasts or check out a book or, you know, surf the web for images. Well,
0: do whatever. you and plan other artwork at that time as well or do you just leave that?
2: Yeah, sometimes.
0: Um,
2: yeah, no, sometimes I do. It just depends what strikes me mm-hmm. at the time really. I sort of run by whatever's going on not really say i have a, have that much structure to it.
1: I'm also hearing in all of this that um, embracing there's there's sort of a Len. You talked about acceptance. There's sort of an embracing of what you know is going to be frustration and struggle, and you know it's not always going to be joyous and <laughs> exhilarating. Also, but you've learned to trust yourself and trust your own process, you know, in the time that you've been doing this, like, you know, that when you have the conversations with your art and allow yourself to, for the art to lead you, that you're going to end up in a place that feels good and and where you end up with a finished product that you're, that you're really happy with. So I, I love that word trust because... It's the thing for me that helps me, like you said, walk into the place where there is no light. When the light's off, it helps me walk into that place. And I think that's re- that's so, so important for us as, as creatives to be able to do that because there's so much unknown. There's so much unknown with this process <laughs> and it can feel yeah. kind of crazy and scary and um, and a little fearful. But if we have the trust, then we don't have to have all that.
2: Yeah, and I think, um, you know, I'm I'm not saying that every time I know an image is going to turn out okay because, as I said, I've got plenty of duds on my hard drive that I've decided I'm not persisting with this. This is just a waste of time. Start something else. Do it. And that's sometimes when my better work comes too. So, you know, there's that side of it as well. But I suppose you've got to trust yourself that one day it'll work whatever day that is. To me, there's sort of three words, three Ps that, that sum it all up, and that's persistence, patience, and perseverance. So you have to have patience with yourself and patience to do the, the hard yards, the, you know, like for me, cutting out of things in Photoshop, which is tedious. You have to have that patience to do those things and patience with yourself that you know it is going to come to something or else you'll come to a decision that, no, this isn't working. But hey, I've cut out all those things. I can keep those and use them for something else. Uh, and practice—you just got to keep practicing to get it right. And persistence so. to
1: pour milk. <laughs> pour milk Listen. a whole bunch of times and photograph it so you can put yeah.
2: it. In. <laughs> and not And try not to spill it on the floor. <laughs> we're, <Yeah. laughs> on the <laughs> we were carpet. talking
1: about her. Her <laughs> uh,
2: the that what's the
1: work? It's called spilled milk. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And how many work, yeah. times it took you to pour mm. the milk and photograph it and try all these different things, and so.
2: But it was so, like it was so much fun trying to sort of get it right, and it was a, a real sense of achievement when I had that sort of shot that I think I, I think it actually combined a couple of shots because it it sort of landed better in one shot than it poured in that one and came out of the bottle better. So I sort of combined all those bits. So I had enough photos in the end to be able to put it together. I mean, these days you could do that in, um, uh, you know, AI in, in Mid Journey or something like that and just ask it to do a pouring milk you know, or something like that. And it would give you a picture of it. Well, to me, that's what was fun. You know, it was just such a sense of achievement to, to be able to actually do that, you know. And I photographed the bottles, I put the cream on the top so that they had, so it was authentic, you know, back in the days when you had those few inches. And if you look at the big print, uh, and that's the beauty of saying it big, you can actually see the cream on the top of the Y'all, box. Y'all, if
1: your art doesn't involve spilling milk, maybe mine needs to involve spilling milk. <laughs>
2: like, <laughs> there's something sort of like. <laughs> well, I've done other ones. I've done other ones, uh, Silent Spring, which is um, uh, more of a, you know, a doomsday type image, but I've got spilling sand in that one too. So that was another one. You know, I, I live near the beach. I walked down to the beach, got a bucket of sand. I was doing much the same thing. Um, pouring the sand, and I had to get it just right. Uh, so that was a messy job. The sand's a now you're speaking my language. And, um, <laughs> yeah. was, but I enjoy doing that side of it. It's you know, it's you start off by thinking I don't know how this is going to work out, and then through the process, you refine it and learn, and and you come up with a result that's authentic. What can be better? agreed? That's
1: fabulous. I love this. I think this is a great place to end. It is, Bree. Yeah. Indeed. I, Sue Ellen, I really enjoyed this conversation. Thank you so much for sharing. Oh, that's good. I enjoyed it too,
0: yeah. Yeah, it was fun. Is there anything you'd like to add at the end, Sue Ellen? No, I don't have
1: any of wisdom on my She fridge. shared them all.
0: <laughs> it's cup of tea time. It definitely is cup of tea time.
1: Mine is dessert time. Because <laughs> I'm in Texas, Ooh, dessert course, time. Yes. Oh, are well, you lucky? <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, we appreciate you sharing uh about your creative process and some of your struggles and what that all looks like for you. I, I just, I, I really found that fascinating to to hear how you work. So, so yeah, thank you so much for joining us today.
2: It's actually quite nice to articulate it, I suppose, because you don't often get the chance to articulate. How you work, or think about how you work, you just do it. It's just innate, I suppose. Uh, so it is quite good to talk about it because it crystallizes your thinking a bit. You know, I've I've learned something today too about my process. So yeah, it's
0: good. I am. Um, it's, um, it's something I do all the time because I'm teaching it, and um, uh, I do find mm. articulation. And this is where the journaling is also part of that. But words and describing and actually figuring it out help me incredibly with my work. And uh, the the process of of Mm. actually being able to describe how I am working makes it easier and easier to keep working. And uh, um, doing it with other people actually is easier (laughs) because you're explaining and they help articulate it and then you go, oh, okay, yeah, yeah. that is me. And uh, podcasts. Yeah, the That's last right, last podcasts yeah. are all, uh, you know, listening to other artists talk, I, found incredibly, I find incredibly valuable because I pick mm. up and I go, yeah, I mm. don't know where my work's going when I'm starting, but I have this grand idea and it ends up somewhere else and I have to learn to trust that process as well. And uh, it's quite a yeah. common yeah. story as well. And I think that we've all got there. I think so. Amazingly we end up in, in quite similar processes. And uh, yeah, uh, thank you very much for sharing that. And uh, it's so lovely to hear that as well.
1: Yeah. Yeah, Mm. Thanks Sue Ellen. Absolute pleasure. I really enjoyed it. Now I'm going to go have a conversation with my art.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I might have a conversation with my teapot. (laughs) I've done too much talking. Sounds amazing.
1: All right. Well, then I think it's time to go. So I will say goodbye. And we will chat. We will see y'all next time. Bye. 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 Thank you for joining us in our creative affair. If you love the passion we bring to this creative content. Please support the podcast by sharing with a friend, subscribing, and leaving us a review. Thanks. If you'd like to learn more about creative photography, visit LenMetcalf.com, where you can find links to Len's photography school, videos, and publications. He would love to invite you to sign up to his newsletter. To find out more about my work, including my photography and mentoring in my Creative Confidence group coaching program, visit CreativeMindsCoach.com. See you next time.